0: Let's pray. Lord, teach us to see. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, Nicodemus the Pharisee. Last week, the woman at the well. This week, the man born blind. Here's mud in your eye. I remember that toast from various TV shows and movies when I was a kid. I had no idea what it meant because it just didn't sound very nice. So I looked it up and they said it was British in origin, but they weren't exactly sure where. Some people said that it came from World War I, where they had to dig trenches to be safe, and the deeper you dug, the safer you were. And so if there was mud in your eyes, it meant you had dug very deep, and therefore you were safe. Other people said, no, it's from horse racing, where the winning horse flings mud into the eyes of the horses behind it. Then there was an asterisk, a, an afterthought, where it said, It's also possible it refers to the Bible story of Jesus healing the blind man with mud. The gospel lesson today is abbreviated. There are several dozen more verses, so your assignment for homework this afternoon is to read the whole story. It'll still only take you about five to seven minutes. People are always looking for something new, and there is a world out there ready to provide. Nancy and I were watching a series of travel stories developed by a Canadian disability group, and the reason we loved it was because in almost every episode, there was a service dog you know, near and dear to our hearts, and that also meant that Hoku... Uh, who, by the way, just received her official accreditation uh, with the um, uh, Assistant Dogs International. So we're so proud of her. But that meant that Hoku and Gracie could watch the show with us. And they were very interested because they would watch the dog doing all that the dog did. Anyway, there's a chain of restaurants called Dark Table. You arrive at the restaurant in a well-lit lobby, but then you are escorted into the actual restaurant, that is completely and totally dark. And when I say completely and totally, I mean no light. And by the way, you're not allowed to bring a cell phone, flashlight, or anything else. Nothing that even glows in the dark. All the servers are blind. The purpose is to experience not only what it is like for people who are blind, but to force yourself to use your other senses. Now, most people come away from their dining experience a little unnerved. And by the way, they got a billion questions. But they also say the food tasted amazing. Because they were focused on it and not the million other distractions that often play out at a restaurant. Now, as of last year, and this could have changed because it's always changing, the most popular YouTuber was Mr. Beast, a 24-year-old who was born Jimmy Donaldson. He gets billions of views, yeah, literally billions of views, and he's always looking for the next million. A few months ago, he offered to pay for a thousand people who needed eye surgery in order to see, but who couldn't afford it. Yeah, you can look it up on Google. It's a pretty good story. His detractors immediately posted that he was just doing it for the fame, that he really didn't care about the people. Um, But others came back with, does it really matter? As long as a thousand people who couldn't see now can see. Jesus knows exactly what Mr. Beast is going through. 2,000 years ago, long before social media, YouTube, TikTok, or any of the other fame and fortune spreaders, Jesus healed a man born blind, and immediately both he and the man were attacked by the religious powers that be. The story takes a lot of twists and turns. It starts with the disciples asking Jesus as they walked by this man, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born this way? They were sounding so religious, so authoritative. If only it were that simple that everyone born with a physical, mental, or social challenge was guilty of some terrible sin, or were suffering the punishment for their parents' sins. I mean, that would make things so much easier. Unless, of course, we were the ones who were suffering. Then it wouldn't be fair at all. Jesus responds, neither. But then goes on with something that that actually needs some explanation. Because in a lot of translations, it says, This man was born blind so God could receive glory. Which sounds like God blinded the guy and made him live his whole life blind just so Jesus could show up and, and be the hero of the day. That's not what Jesus meant, nor is it the best translation. I like the CSB translation, the one that we use here. It says, in order that God's works might be revealed in him. The man was blind because we live in a world torn apart by sin. Some of that sin happens because of us, And it's our fault, and some of it isn't. Some of us, by the way, are directly affected by sin, and some of us aren't. You see, you can't just look at us and and see what's happening and say, aha, you're a sinner, therefore, yeah, it's not quite that simple. Jesus said, you know, do you really think that those people, when the Tower of Siloam collapsed on them, do you really think they were more guilty than everybody else? So when Jesus says this man was born blind so that God could receive glory, he was letting us know the man was not only not being punished by God specifically, but he had also not been forgotten by God. God is about to use this man to change the perception of a lot of people when it comes to sin and disabilities and punishment and grace. Do you remember a few years ago when people started saying COVID was God's punishment? Now, It's pretty much the same thing because according to their theories, God was most angry at Peru, Bulgaria, Bosnia, Hungary, and Slovakia who had some of the highest percentages of death in their country. It doesn't necessarily work that way. Jesus directly answers the disciples' question by saying, Not everything is God's specific reaction to our sin." Then he noted they asked their own question. It goes on to remind them that each moment is an opportunity for God's works to be revealed and to draw people back into a relationship with God. It's really not that difficult. But you know what? We can tend to make it really hard because we've got our, our way of expecting how things should be. We want people to get what they deserve. But of course, we don't expect any punishment because we're the good ones or at least the gooder ones. But every time we hear about something bad happening and ask who sinned, them or their parents, the truth is we're the ones who aren't loving our enemies or praying for them. We need to read past the headlines, past the opening words of a story, and sometimes we need to seek another source to make sure that we actually know the truth about what's happening and what did happen. Because we are sinful, we're going to conjure up all sorts of theories, explanations, and justifications for our theories and explanations. And here is where that old axiom, silence is golden, actually comes in handy. You see, there's a difference. There's a difference between thinking it and saying it out loud. And this is where the prayer comes in, forgive us, Father, for our inability to keep our mouth from saying things that we shouldn't say. All right, some observations about the text. The disciples were obviously close enough to the man born blind when they said, you know, who sent him or his parents. You almost expect the blind man to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with my hearing. I can hear you. Um, Second, Jesus made an obvious statement, noting that when it's dark, it's hard to work. So you need to get things done when the sun is still shining. He then ties it all up by saying, I am the light of the world. And even as dense as the disciples often were, they should see the connection between light and darkness, between blindness and seeing. Something else to note, unlike a few other places, Jesus doesn't ask the man born blind if he wants to see. He just spits, makes some mud, smears it in the man's eyes, and tells him to go wash in the pool called Scent. I don't know if the man born blind could see immediately or or if he needed his seeing-eye dog or his friends to guide him to the pool and then he was able to see. Uh, We'll figure all that out in heaven. But off he went, and he could see. Every time I read this passage, I think of my grandma Mosier, who when I was a little kid, if I had dirt on my face, she would grab a Kleenex or a napkin and spit on it and then wipe the dirt off my face. Now this is the same grandma who was not happy when I let the family dog lick me. She would say, yuck. Do you know where that dog's mouth has been? By the way, I knew better than to respond asking her, you know, the whole spitting on the Kleenex thing because I knew it wouldn't go well for me. Now, there are 51 separate acts of healing in the Gospels. Jesus spends as much time healing as he does preaching. While Jesus rejects that all sickness is God's way of getting even with sinners, he also makes a connection, says there's a definite connection between sickness and sin. This is something St. James picks up on in his letter and really pushes it when he says, is any one of you sick? He should call for the elders of the church. They should pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faith will save the sick person and the Lord will restore them to health. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. This also aligns with the Jewish view of the body and soul in which if either has a problem, the other has a problem as well. The Greek word sozo means both to save and to heal. We are a body and a soul, not an either or. A few years back, someone left a walker in the driveway of our office. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. We came up and it was like sitting there in the middle of the driveway, believing that somebody just forgot it when they got into their car and they would be back for it. We left it, we set it off to the side, and we just left it there. But days and days went by. And nobody claimed it. The, the, the mail lady came by and she said, so did you guys do a miraculous healing? And, and we turned to her and said, well, not that we know of, but God has done stranger and more miraculous things. So who knows? Well, after it sat there a couple more days, we brought it inside, cleaned it all up, and gave it to somebody who needed it. You know, we hoped that whoever left it behind really was healed. A few years back, all the way to 19, or 1868, A young girl named Bernadette claimed to see a radiant vision of a woman in white in Lourdes, France. At the time, by the way, Lourdes was just a small town. Bernadette claimed the Virgin Mary appeared to her 17 more times over the next few months. Today, an average of 25,000 people visit the city, scooping up water from the fountain, lighting a candle, praying, and leaving behind things like eyeglasses, hearing aids, crutches, and wheelchairs as proof of their healing. For many such miraculous healings are an offense to science. And since the definition of a miracle is something that cannot, and I need to underline and highlight the word cannot happen through human work, uh, there's a lot of people that claim miracles just don't happen. I was reading an article in a medical journal that said, and I quote, If medical authorities agree that a healing is inexplicable in terms of present scientific knowledge, you can simply ascribe the healing to the deficiencies of present scientific knowledge. Wow. In other words, we just don't know how it happened medically, but there's no other excuse. They actually went on to say, If otherwise intelligent and honest human beings are convinced, despite all arguments to the contrary, that it is God who healed them, you can assume their sickness, like the cure, was purely psychological. Ouch. Our gospel story in its fullness is important. The gospel says the man was born blind. Okay. Okay. Now, the church leaders had seen this man sitting in that spot, begging because he was blind for years. They interview his parents, who said, yeah, he was born blind. The community is also a part of the story. In other words, there were lots of individuals who could have provided feedback and said, they're lying. But they didn't. See, this wasn't imaginary. This wasn't psychological. Psychological. See, I can understand why various scientific and medical journals would not want to give any credit to God when it comes to healing and miracles. In their case, their livelihood and income would be affected if all people had to do was get anointed with a little oil or have someone of faith pray for them. But why the church would be unwilling to give God credit? That really is strange. Have you ever tried to explain rationally things like Michelangelo's David or Da Vinci's Last Supper or Beethoven's Fifth or the taste of a fresh strawberry, or the color of a peacock's feathers. See, I know that we can run chemical analysis or do sound sampling or all sorts of other tests to show what these things are and even what they're made of, even down to the molecular level. But that does not answer the question of why. If you were sick, God never promised he would heal you if you prayed enough or did enough good things or climbed up enough stairs on your knees, or put enough money in the offering plate. He did say if you had enough faith, you would be okay. But that doesn't mean healed like we often mean healed. Something I learned from those who have great faith, because they have great faith, it no longer matters if they're healed or not. They believe, as God told St. Paul, God's grace is sufficient. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for healing for yourself or somebody else. But don't let anyone, and I mean anyone, ever tell you that if you aren't healed, it's because you didn't have enough faith. Nor should you ever have to give a church or a person anything to prove your faith before you get healed. God's favor cannot be bought or sold. We are all broken. We're all sinful. We're all hurting. We're all sick. We're all lost and to pretend we're not is to put up a wall that would keep God from healing us. Jesus said those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. And when you look at the context, I imagine Jesus saying this with his tongue planted firmly in his cheek because he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are walking around going, there's nothing wrong with us, we are perfect in every way, shape, and form. And yet who John described as whitewashed graves. To approach the possibility of a miracle, healing or otherwise, costs you nothing. Pray for yourself. Pray for someone else. Pray for the nation. Pray for your community. Pray for healing among groups. Pray for all sorts of things. And if it makes you feel better, spit and fling some mud while you're praying. God will answer your prayer. He may not give you what you prayed for, but He will answer your prayer. It's one of his basic promises. I know our immediate reaction five minutes after we prayed when we don't have whatever we asked for in our hands is to say, well, God didn't listen and God didn't answer me. I don't doubt the man born blind and his parents prayed over and over and over again for his healing. And by the way, the disciples' words probably hit a little too close to home because they all probably did feel a little bit like some or all of the blindness was caused by something they did or didn't do. It's just how we think. But that's not the way that God works. Be careful about trying to act all religious and high and mighty when you pray. Over and over again, Jesus says it's the humble, uh, those who have humility that God listens to. See, one thing I've really come to understand, if God doesn't seem to be giving you what you asked for, no matter how many times you asked for it, He might have given you something else. But you're going to have to have an open heart, an open mind. You're going to have to have an open life to see what it is and why I guarantee it's better than anything you asked for. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.